series called Life Verses. And so what, what it's all about is really a testimony of our story uh, um, that is looked at through the lens of passages from the Bible that have meant a lot to us as we've, as it were, grown up in, the, in God. The way that the Bible has shaped us that are meaningful very much in different stages of our life. Really, as I said earlier, that help shape our story. So to just give you a bit of context, um, when thinking about the title of this, uh, this talk, I was reminded of something that Bill Clinton, does anybody remember Bill Clinton? You're old enough to remember Bill? Good old Bill. Former US president said once, it's the economy, stupid. Okay, that was, his, that was what he talked about just before he became president of the United States. He said, it's all about the economy. It's not about anything else. It's all about the economy. And so as I was thinking about this talk, rather than call it, it's the economy, stupid, I was going to call it, it's God, stupid. But I thought that might offend a few people. Uh, so I ended up calling it, it's all about God. And really, that's what it is. You know, our life is all about God. Who's enjoyed the Spotlight series that we recently had? Brilliant, brilliant. If you haven't listened to all of the talks, they're on the w website, download them, have a listen. You won't find better teaching about God and about who God is. The center, the epicenter of what we need to be doing and thinking about is God. God needs to be the center of our lives. Why is that? Why is that? If we look at the Bible, I thought I'd bring the Bible although all my verses are written on my notes. But, you know, preacher needs to have a Bible, leather bound. But if you, if you read the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Thank you. It's the story of God. It's all about God, stupid. That's what this life is all about. That's what everything is all about. It's all about God. The entire Bible is the story of God. History is the story of God. The very first verse in the Bible sums up the entire Bible, the entire story. In the beginning, God. And I think, Philip, during the series you mentioned that a couple of times, how God, God is everything. God was in the beginning. He's outside of time. He's outside of matter. He's outside of everything that we see, feel, or understand. We can't get our minds around that because God, God is God. God cannot be explored, as we said, or fully explored. And that's why the Spotlight series was so good because it, it was talking about the attributes of God. And what do we mean by attributes? It's what we attribute to God. We say God is like I'm stealing from Philip. But God is like this, or God is like that. It's, it's showing the different ways that God is like. But God is above and beyond everything. In the beginning, God. So, I mentioned the attributes of God, the Spotlight series. We went through a number of wonderful different things, what God is, that God is independent. That's really what I was saying, that God is separate from. Separate from everything. God is God. He's always present, omnipresence. He is three and yet he is one God. He is sovereign. He knows everything. He is love. He is holiness. God does, believe it or not, have wrath or has anger. He has righteous anger. He also has grace. He has power 
and he has faithfulness. Two weeks ago, I think, Pete, you spoke about God's faithfulness, right? And that was a great, again, a great sermon. You need to listen to it if you haven't already. And that's really the first point of what I want to talk about in Life Verses today is all around the faithfulness of God. The great questions of life, and we'll get to that. The great questions of life, what is the origin of man? Why do I exist? What is my purpose in life? are answered in the first chapter of Genesis. If you read Genesis chapter one with those questions in mind, every single one of those questions are answered in the first chapter of Genesis. And this isn't one of my life verses, but I just wanna read Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Then God said, who did he say it to? He said it to himself, to the Trinity. Then God said, let us, there's so much depth in God's word, let us make man That terminology, man, is actually mankind. Let us make mankind, let us make people in our image, after our likeness. You want to know what you should be like? Do you want to know what your purpose and destiny in life is? That's what it is. It's about being in God's image and in in his likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Feminism is not a new thing, people. God is all about male and female. When he talks about mankind, when he talks about man, he's talking about male and female. Right in the first book of Genesis, and you've got to realize where, this, where the Bible came from in the Middle East at the time. But right in the first chapter of Genesis, God talks about male and female being created in God's image. We were created to be like God, to reflect his glory, to fellowship with God, and to be sustained by God, ultimately to be part of God's story. It's all about God. Stupid. Sorry, I won't say that again. Um, I don't think. So as I was reflecting on the talk, um, you know, when you, you give a talk, especially in this church, you need to have three points. So I thought, let me, have, let me, let me try and, and, and bring it together in a thread or in a, les- a lesson and something that you can take away from this testimony. And these three points are this, and we'll go through them very quickly. One, that God is faithful, as I mentioned earlier. Two, determined to put God first in your life. You won't regret it. And three, ultimately, it's a walk of faith. So God is faithful, determined to put God first in your life, and ultimately, it's a walk of faith. Number one, God is faithful. Or another way I would put it is once I was young, now I'm middle-aged. I can relate with the Apostle Paul and hopefully, I'm sure most of you can, maybe not all, that in 1 Corinthians 1.26 he says that not many of us were wise or influential or of noble birth when God called us. And I can tell you that for me that's true. I wasn't extremely wise. I wasn't at all influential. I was born on the wrong side of the railway track in a place called Harare. And no, I wasn't born there. I lived there in a place called Harare, Zimbabwe. I was born here. We'll get to that. Um, 
and I, I certainly was not of noble birth. And yet God called me. I was born in the UK, but I grew up in Zimbabwe, and even by Zimbabwean standards, I grew up in what I would call a humble home. Like I said, the wrong side of the railway tracks. Liz was in a slightly you know, elevated home. My father, and I think this is quite important this morning because there's a thread here, struggled with alcoholism. He was an alcoholic. And that had a, a huge impact on our home life and ultimately resulted in my parents getting divorced. And then I've just written here, yet God, from Ephesians. Yet God, despite that, despite not coming from a salubrious family, coming from a family that was basically broken, alcoholic father, I won't go into the details, but you can imagine. And yet God, despite that, God had his hand on me from a young age. When I was about four or five years old, I cannot remember when, because I think my mom was really struggling at home, a friend, thank God for that friend, invited her to church, and I started going to church. And through that church, it was an Assemblies of God church. Whoop, whoop, for the Assemblies of God. Um, I remember at home one night, I asked my mom, I said, what do I need to do to go to heaven? I think it was something along those lines. And she led me, basically, in a prayer of faith at that time. I can't remember how old I was. I could have been four or five or six. I, I really cannot remember. But what I do remember is I prayed the prayer of faith. And what I do know is that I really believe at that time that God regenerated my spirit, that I became a Christian. As Jesus said in the Bible, that I became born again. I had a new life in God. I had made that decision. And funnily enough, after making that decision, it was not long after that that my parents actually did get divorced. And then I, used, I was shipped around f between my grandparents well, with my mom, and, and high school I ended up with my dad. That was my decision. There's, there's good reason for that decision. Dads tend to allow you to get away with more things than moms do, right? <laughs> can, can, can moms and dads and children relate? And so, you know, I, I was at high school with my father. At that time, I have to say, I drifted, to put it mildly, and with few boundaries in place, I started to get involved with people and things that were simply not good. Yet God, in his mercy, in the midst of this, I always felt like I had a rope around me. As I was thinking about this, I thought of soap on a rope, and I don't think that was such a good analogy. So. <laughs> Another way of looking at it is I felt like God had this elastic band around me, okay? And every time I walked away from him, he let me go so far that he would gently take it back. And for even during those high school years, even when I got up to nonsense that I shouldn't have got up to, God was always there, God was faithful, and he was pulling me back. And in the midst of this, my mom actually recommitted her life to God and really became on fire for God. And she joined a church. And I used to go and visit my mom from time to time on the weekends. I used to play a lot of sport at school. Uh, but on a Saturday afternoon, I normally finished. I used to ride my bike right across town and go and visit my mom Saturday night and on a Sunday. And on a Sunday, of course, you know what happened. I started going to church. I started visiting the church, and God was there. And I remember one particular weekend that really stood out to me was I was at my mom's place at church. My core of friends, my mates, were out that Saturday night 
and they were doing whatever they were doing. But for some reason, at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, they thought it would be a good idea to steal a motorbike right, and joyride on that motorbike. While they did that, unfortunately, the guy whose motorbike it was realized what they were doing. He had a gun, and he ran out on the road and fired his gun at these kids. Fortunately, no one was injured. No one was, was hit. There was all sorts of trouble, as you can imagine, with the police because they got caught like they genuinely do. But that, that incident really shook my life, and it really made me realize that if I carry on the road that I'm going, despite the fact that God's got this elastic band on me, totally you know, pulling me back all the time, I was, going to, I was going the way of distraction. And so I don't think it was long after that that I recommitted my life to God. And so it was at this time, after I recommitted my life to God, I was about 17 years old, God gave me a promise in Psalm 37, and this is, this is my first life verse. This is a psalm of David. It's a wisdom or a teaching psalm. And David wrote it in his old age, reflecting on his experience in God. The whole psalm is really good. You need to read it. But verses 23 to 25 really stood out to me. And so, like I said, this is my first uh, life verse. Verse 23 of Psalm 37 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I recognized that God had been so faithful to me at that time. Despite rejecting him and walking in my own ways, he was there and he would not let me go too far from him. Although I fell, and I did many times before and I have many times since, he upheld me. And God made a promise to me back then when I was 17 years of age. I was single, I owned nothing, with no earthly prospects. I had a few O-levels to my name, and two M levels, if anybody knows what they are. But his promise to me was simply this, that if I walked in his ways, the ways of righteousness, he would not forsake me, but he would uphold me, and he would provide for me in every way. This promise was not only for me, but for my family as well. And that was God's promise to me as a 17-year-old in that verse. It was just an amazing promise. And if you know me and you've been around me a while, you would have heard me quote this scripture. Once I was young, now I'm old, so I'm going to quote the NIV. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. I, as I said earlier, I'm officially middle-aged, so I don't have the full spectrum of what David had when he wrote Psalm 37 but I can testify that God has been true to his word and I have total trust that God will remain faithful. God's provision in my life is remarkable and I could talk a lot about it, but we're running out of time. So I'm going I'm to skip to the second life verse. And so firstly, that God is faithful. God provides, he doesn't let you go. He is faithful in all aspects and all times of your life. The second point or life verse is around 
determined to put God first, you won't regret it. Or another way of saying it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Anyone that knows me knows that family is very important to me. I, 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 I love what Claire brought earlier because it just, Claire, when you were bringing it, it was just resonating to me about what I'm going to say now. But I don't have time to discuss intergenerational sins passed down through families. But if you want to talk about it, I'll gladly talk to you about it because I believe it happens and it's true. But I came from a background of alcoholism, I came from a background of poverty, and I came from a background of family breakdown. And God in his mercy intervened and broke the curse of that sin in my life. I remember that this day I was being prayed for by my pastor at the time, his name is Paul Rass, and I just remember just feeling like the curse had been broken in my life. That curse of alcoholism, that curse of, of poverty, and that curse of a broken home. Now we're gonna celebrate 30 years of marriage tomorrow, and I, as if we both live another 30 years, we will celebrate 60 years of marriage, whenever that may be. But the bottom line is, I have the blessing of God in my life because he broke that curse at that time. And so, yeah, it's, it's it just, um, yeah. So God intervened, he broke the curse of sin in my life, and he didn't stop there. You know what the wonderful thing with God is that he doesn't only break the power of sin, he replaces it with something else. He replaces it with himself, and God is blessing. God is all those things, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think I got them all right. Right, that's the fruit of the spirit. And so it's not only that God break the, 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 the curse of sin, he also replaced it with the blessing. So life verse number two, Joshua 24 verse 15. It says this, and this is Joshua speaking at the end of his life. And it is evil, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father Sorry, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Bible is an extremely practical book. It's the most practical book I know, full of instruction and wisdom how to live life. And Liz will testify that I'm not the perfect husband and Karen will testify that I'm not the perfect father but I determined early on in my life as a family that we would serve the Lord. And I believe that that was critical. Joshua said these words shortly before he died. He was imploring the Israelites to serve the Lord God, but he resolved that regardless of whom the nation of Israel was going to serve, as for him and his household, that meant his family, and because of the culture at the time, his servants as well, those with whom he had influence over, as for them, as for him and his household, they would serve the Lord. Now, I have no servant, you'll be glad to know, so I have to stick with the family. But I was determined from day one, as for me and my household, we would serve the Lord. Now, we live in a world, in a culture, where you're actually swimming against the tide, serving the Lord. Can anybody testify with that? I believe as Christians, we have to determine to serve God, but not only us, but our families and any we have influence over. 
We are told that faith is a private thing. How many times have you heard that? That it should not be shared, especially as it relates to children. We should not influence or brainwash them. That's what the world is telling them. And I have two responses for that. Number one, if you don't influence your children, someone else will. Okay, somebody's gonna eat the lunch or provide the lunch, and if it's not you, it's gonna be someone else. If you don't influence, guide, and teach your children, someone or something else will. Do you want the internet to do it? Do you want social media, television? Dare I even say it? Not, I'm a humanistic teacher. I love teachers, but sometimes some teachers are humanistic in their outlook. Do you want them to influence your children and teach them how they should live? Abdication of this responsibility is a dire mistake. And secondly, Christianity is the most important gift that you can give your children. Not cars, not homes, not holidays. It's Christianity. Everything else pales into insignificance. And so I challenge you, live your life, lead and discipline your children like their lives depend on it. Because you know what? They do. We do not have direct control over our children. I know that. They are individual human beings. They will make their own decisions. But we can give them every opportunity to grow and flourish in God. Put God first in your life as a family and make church a priority. And I promise you, you will not regret it. And just one final thing on this point. For those parents who have children that have drifted from God, as I did, remember God is faithful. God is faithful. Continue to pray for and love them and then leave the rest up to God. Because you know what? He wasn't faithful to me because I was special. He was faithful to me because he's special. God is God. Even when we're faithless, he remains faithful, the Bible says, because he can't disown himself. It's impossible for him to be faithless. And then finally, like the heading of of my talk today, it's all about God. It's a walk of faith. I thought I needed to at least show that I was educated. So I want to, I want to talk, or, or, or talk about a famous dictum from a person called Socrates. If you want to know about Socrates, I'm going to pick on Andrew again. Speak to Andrew later. Um, the unexamined life is not worth living, is what Socrates said. He actually said that during his trial, after which he was. Um, uh, killed. So maybe not such a great thing. But I really believe that there is a lot of truth in that. We need to be examining our lives consistently. I mentioned earlier Genesis 1.1. 1, 1 sorry, Genesis 1 answers the great questions of life. What is the origin of man? Why do I exist? And what is my response? These are important questions to ask yourself, not as a one-off, but often. Examining your life What am I doing with my life? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Now, Jesus promised, as you go through life, you will face pain, suffering, and disappointment. Do you know that? Jesus promised that. (laughs) Okay. It is especially at these times where you tend to examine your life. Ask what it's all about. And my last life verse comes out of a time of reflection following the time when I was made redundant, actually about three years ago. It was a time where I had to turn to God and wholly sort of say, God, help, um, and not rely on a company that I've been working for for 25 years or on the next salary check or anything like that. And I really believe that God gave me this verse at the time, and it's Hebrews 11, verse 6. 
and says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. The first part of Hebrews 11:6 is the most quoted. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But it was the second part that really caught my attention. And that is true, but why? Firstly, you've got to believe that God is. And what, what does that mean, believe that God is? That is going back to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. That God is, that God is God. I, I, it's, it's hard to explain it, but you know, God is the one that's on the throne. That he exists, that he is God, that he's all those wonderful things that we talked about in the Spotlight series. If you don't believe that God exists, then all bets are on the, off the table. Live, live the way you want to. Don't let me or anybody else stop you from living the way you want to live if God's not God. Because no one else has the right to tell you how to live except God. Only be accountable to one person, that's yourself. Put yourself on the throne. Make yourself accountable and say, I'm accountable to me because there is no God. However, if there is a God, then God by nature has to be on the throne of my life. So you need to make a choice. Am I on the throne of my life? Is God on the throne of my life? This is subtle, but it has great power over the lives of people. I want to, again, just to prove that I, I did have an education. An oft-quoted and inspirational poem is Invictus. Anybody know Invictus as a poem? Everybody love Invictus as a poem? Okay. I'm going to read it. It's a poem by William Ernest Henley. I, I looked that up. Um, Out of the night that covers me, Black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the foul clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. He didn't have a very good life view. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It is a matter not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's inspirational. It's on posters. It's on bumper stickers. The great Nelson Mandela spoke about it during his time of incarceration in Robben Island. He, during his dark times, he, 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 used to, he learned that Invictus off by heart. Has anybody seen the movie Invictus? It's a great movie. And so it, it, it kind of it captures you, right? You kind of get caught up in it. And yet, you know, and, and I've got nothing against Nelson Mandela because he's a wonderful person for many, many, many reasons. But that's full of half-truths and underpins the humanistic philosophy that there is no God and that each man or woman is the master of their fate and the captain of their soul. Couldn't be further from the truth. God has to be the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. You must believe that God is. If you don't, you will not put God on the throne of your life. God is God. I am not. 
And finally, from that verse, the wonderful thing about faith is not only believing in God, but also that he rewards those who seek him. What a promise. You don't only believe in God, he says he's going to reward you if you seek him. It can attest, I, I can attest to that. I know my own weaknesses, I know my sins, I know my shortcomings, yet God is gracious, he is faithful, and he will reward you when you seek him. So in conclusion, as I reflect on my testimony, my journey, and my lessons, I've learned these three things. One, God is faithful. Even when I'm not, he will never change. He will always be there for me. He will always be there for you. Two, determined to put God first in your life and in the life of your family. You will never regret it. And three, ultimately, it's a walk of faith. Believe that God is who he says he is. He is God. He is Lord. Live in the light of that and believe that God will reward your faith. Life is a journey, and the older you get, the faster time goes. And what we do with this life will determine, sorry, if we determine to recognize that God is God and that he is on the throne of my life and not me, and if I serve and seek God, he will reward me. Even when I fall, he will pick me up and he will bless me and my family, and I could go on and on. But I will let an older and wiser man conclude and wrap this up for me. Once I was young, now I'm middle-aged, getting a little bit older, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. Amen.